Have you ever considered the impact your work environment has on your health and your productivity? Enter Uplift Desk, a revolutionary standing desk designed to transform the way you work. And that's just the beginning of what Uplift Desk has to offer. With an emphasis on ergonomics and customization, Uplift Desk offers a solution that caters to the dynamic needs of modern professionals. Whether you're coding, designing, or podcasting, like I am right now, the flexibility to switch between sitting and standing can significantly enhance your focus and vitality. What makes Uplift Desk stand out is not just their commitment to quality and innovation, but also their dedication to creating a healthier workspace. With options to customize from over 100 desktop materials and a plethora of accessories, Uplift Desk ensures that your work setup is uniquely yours, promoting better posture and movement throughout the day. And here's an offer to get you started on a healthier work journey starting today. Go to upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting for 5% off your order. That's upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting to get 5% off your entire order. Your health, your productivity, your future self will thank you. Again, that's upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting and get 5% off your entire order today. Have you ever had that heart-stopping moment when you realized you forgot the password to a critical account? I have, and that's exactly why I switched to 1Password years ago, and honestly, it's been a game-changer. I can't do without 1Password, and I know that if you give it a try, you will feel the same way. And when you support our sponsors, then you support the show. So I encourage you to check out what 1Password has to offer One of the things 1Password has to offer is it combines top-tier security with an award-winning design, making password management a breeze for anyone, anywhere. From the moment I started using 1Password, I said goodbye to the days of resetting passwords and worrying about security breaches. You see, 1Password isn't just about convenience. It's about saving you from the real cost of data breaches and the daily time suck of password resets. It works seamlessly across all your devices, filling in passwords for you so that you can sign in with a click. And the best part, all you need to do is remember one strong password that protects everything else. I've been using 1Password for as long as I can remember. My family is using it. Everyone in this household has bought in. It's, again, a game changer. It's completely transformed how I handle my digital security and my family feels the same way. We've gotten away from using the same passwords again and again and again, or sticky note reminders or having that notebook that says passwords I must remember. Plus, 1Password is trusted by millions, including giants like IBM and Slack. With 1Password, my digital life and my family's digital life is not only more secure, but infinitely simpler. And look, if you've ever been frustrated by a family member constantly asking for passwords, 1Password's secure sharing has been a total relationship saver for me. It's so secure that the Associated Press relies on it in high-risk areas, which means it's more than capable of keeping your digital life safe and streamlined. So why not make the switch? Protect yourself, your family, and your business with 1Password. It's the simple and secure way to manage your digital life. And right now, listeners of A Productive Conversation get a free two-week trial at onepasswordcom slash productive convo. 
That's two free weeks at onepassword.com slash productive convo. Again, onepassword.com slash productive convo. Check out one password. I know you'll fall in love with it like my whole family has. Again, that's onepassword.com slash productive convo for two free weeks. Check it out today. I'm Mike Vardy. Ever found yourself deep in a project, your flow state so intense that the world around you just fades away? That's the magic zone where ideas take flight and your work truly comes to life. But what if, in a blink, it could all disappear? Hard drives fail, coffee spills, and yes, even the dreaded accidental delete happens. But fear not, because Crash Plan has your back. Don't wait for disaster to strike. Head over to crashplan.com slash timecrafting now for a free trial and secure your creations with their limited time buy one, get one offers. Supporting our sponsors means supporting this podcast. So take a moment to check them out. CrashPlan is the superhero of cloud-based data protection, specifically designed for people like us who live and breathe their digital creations. CrashPlan ensures that every file, every idea, and every piece of hard work is safely backed up and protected. With CrashPlan Professional, you get unlimited backup for your computers, not servers or cloud apps, just pure essential data protection for PC, Mac, and Linux. This means your business plans, designs, music, and documents are continuously encrypted and updated in their secure cloud without you lifting a finger. Imagine this, your laptop takes a dive during a late night work session. With CrashPlan, it's not a disaster, it's just a minor hiccup. Their service runs quietly in the background, safeguarding every change you make every 15 minutes. And if the worst happens, your files are just a few clicks away from being restored with unlimited version retention acting as your personal time machine. For businesses, CrashPlan's multi-tenant capabilities are a game changer. Buy as many licenses as you need, manage them with ease, and let your team or your IT admin restore data seamlessly, saving precious time and resources. So go to CrashPlan.com slash TimeCrafting now to sign up for a free trial and take advantage of one of their limited buy one, get one offers for a productive conversation listeners. That's CrashPlan.com slash TimeCrafting. Back up better with CrashPlan. Ever caught yourself marveling at the seamless magic of everyday tech, like how noise-canceling headphones block out the world or the sheer bliss of meeting-free Fridays? Now imagine if there was a way to bring that kind of magic into selling online. Well, guess what? There is, and it's called Shopify. From the moment you decide to launch your online shop to opening your first physical store, and even when you're pinching yourself because, yes, you just hit a million orders, Shopify is there to guide your growth. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or the latest productivity tools, Shopify supports you everywhere with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. The checkout? Oh, it's a breeze for your customers, converting up to 36% better than other platforms. And with Shopify Magic, your AI-powered assistant, you're selling more with way less effort. And you won't be alone in your Shopify journey because Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., supporting giants like Allbirds and Brooklinen and millions of entrepreneurs across 175 countries. Their award-winning support is always there, making sure businesses that grow, Grow with Shopify, and yours can be one of those businesses. And for those looking to level up, Shopify's endless integrations and third-party apps from on-demand printing to chatbots ensure your business is always ahead of the curve. 
So what are you waiting for? Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash timecrafting, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash timecrafting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash timecrafting. Have you ever looked into fasting and thought, I love the benefits, but I can't go days without eating? Well, that's where Prolon comes in, transforming the fasting experience with a plant-based nutrition program that tricks your cells into thinking they're fasting without actually having to stop eating. Developed through decades of research at the University of Southern California Longevity Institute, Prolon is not just another diet, it's a scientifically backed program designed to support your body's natural processes. Now keep in mind, this isn't about cutting out food, it's about providing your body with the right nutrients to enter a fasting state while still eating. The program includes snacks, soups, and beverages, all carefully designed to support healthy blood sugar levels, cardiovascular health, and even reduce abdominal fat. And the convenience? It's unmatched. Everything you need comes in one box delivered right to your doorstep. Thousands of doctors now recommend Prolon for its health benefits, backed by Nobel Prize winning science. So if you're looking for a way to kickstart your health journey with all the benefits of fasting and none of the hunger, Prolon is the answer. And right now, Prolon is offering a Productive Conversation listeners 10% off their five-day nutrition program. Go to prolonlife.com slash timecrafting. That's P-R-O-L-O-N life.com slash timecrafting for this special offer. Again, that's prolonlife.com slash timecrafting. Check it out today. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. And this is the Productivityist Podcast. Welcome to the Productivityist Podcast. On this episode, I have best-selling author several times over Gretchen Rubin, and I'm really excited to have the chance to bring her on the show. We've had several conversations over the years, both online and offline, and uh, you know I've been following her work since her very first first book, The Happiness Project, and then coming all the way until uh, the latest book, The Four Tendencies, which I've I believe, and I've told her this, that this is like her legacy book. This is the book that I think, as much as The Happiness Project is one that she's most known for to date, I think this is the one, for me at least, um, and and I think this one is is the one that I think is going to kind of propel her, shape her, her, how she's 
you know, perceived or there's just a lot more, I think that can be done with it at this point, uh, which is, which is, you know, I mean, that's not saying that her other books don't have a lot going for them. Believe me, they do. I've read all of them better than before. Uh, you know, happier at home, all those ones, but this one, there's just something about it. it maybe it's just the, the, the fact that I can relate to it so much because she, as, as we discussed, like, this is something that she's been spending a lot of time in and researching. And, and this is just something that she's kind of, grown organically over the years and is able to put it into a book form. And we're going to talk about the four tendencies today. We're going to learn a little bit about maybe what I am, uh, because we start off with what I think I am. And then ultimately we, we kind of get a better sense of what I, I am in terms of what tendency I have and as well as what people can do when they figure out what tendency they are and, and so on and so forth. It's a great discussion. Let's just dive into it. Here's my conversation with Gretchen Rubin on the Productivity podcast. I'd like to welcome Gretchen Rubin to the Productivityist Podcast. Gretchen, thanks for joining me today. I'm so happy to be talking to you. So we've we've crossed paths several times over the past few years. Back, you know, I mean, we're talking the, the Happiness Project, and you know, you know, happier, happier at home, and better than before. And and we were just talking as we as we got underway about the Four Tendencies, which is your new book. But I started to see some of that stuff a couple of years prior to the book coming out right at world domination yeah. summit. And, and even yeah. it, it was starting to infuse in some of your work earlier on. And you just mentioned the book's only been out since September of, of, of 2017, but it seems like it's been kind of bubbling on the surface for quite some time. Would that be fair to say? No, absolutely. You're right. Um, because it, it's a framework that divides people into four categories, um, upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels. And you're exactly right. I, I actually introduced this idea in my book, Better Than Before, which is about the 21 strategies that we can use to make or break our habits. And what happened was, as I was trying to understand patterns that I was seeing in how people were and weren't um, able to successfully change habits, I started noticing these weird patterns where certain people would give very much the same kinds of answers that didn't really make sense to me or, or were very striking to me. And that's what led me to understand this four tendencies framework. And it's part of habit change, but it's actually much bigger than habit change because your tendency, whether you're an upholder, a questioner, a bludger, a rebel, will affect how you change habits, but it'll also affect how you get along with your spouse or your boss or your teacher or your child. It'll help you know like why you experience certain kind of conflicts, why certain kinds of things drive you crazy. So it's much bigger than habits, but it was through habits that I got my first insight into it. And then once better than before it came out, I was just deluged with questions from people being like, you know, asking these like very long, detailed questions about sort of applying the four tendencies. And so I was writing all these emails back and then I thought, well, maybe I should write like a little PDF. And before long, I was like, I need to write a whole book about this because it's 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 a big idea. I kind of backed into it mm -hmm. um, indirectly, but it deserves to be really fleshed out. Um, because there, it turns out, you know, there's quite a lot to say. There's a lot of nuance in it that's helpful to understand. Um you know, but and and I and it needed its own book. So let's let's dive in a little bit into you know when when we see a lot of you know tests and things like that, like different ways to look at yourself. You've got strengths finders. You know, you've got the Enneagram. Yep. You've got Myers Briggs. Yeah, oh, like there's so this. and and it's yeah. you know my wife actually uh, I'll, I'll share with you something. My wife took the four tendencies quiz. And she had a question for you that she wanted me to address right out of the gate. She goes, what happens mm. when you look at the quiz and you don't feel like 
any of those things kind of line up? Because I mean, it's it's. So she was looking at questions. She goes, "I don't really think any of these hit," which I don't think is uncommon with with quizzes. I mean, a lot of them are that they're, you know, I think that there's there's something to be said for that as well. But when you when you're going through this, I think she's probably a questioner. <laughs> Questioners tend to have a lot of trouble because they're always looking for exceptions and being like, "Well, I would say this, but I would also say that," and like they really question the validity of the of a test, right? Whereas other people really identify much more clearly, and that's true of questioners generally. Questioners are by far the ones who are most likely to say, "Like, well, I'm a little bit of everything," whereas the other tendencies understand that they are very much in a core tendency. It's just more obvious to you if you're an upholder or a rebel or an obliger that you're different from other people. You see that pattern. And obligers are like, well, sometimes I would do this, but sometimes I would do that. And I'm like, right, because you're a questioner. And a questioner always is like, well, what makes sense right now? Right. What's justified? So it's hard for them. to. So I'm, I'm guessing that your wife is a questioner. Does that ring true to you? I think so. And you know, what's funny is I think when I was looking at what I came across is I think I'm a questioner as well, uh, mm. but, but I, but we do it, we, we approach it differently. You know what I mean? Like, we, mm. it, so it's, it's, like, so for example, I'm, I'm looking for, and it, it, I'm looking for like, so when I put together my productivity framework, as an example, I'm like, what, what makes sense here and now and why? Like, how do I, you know, when, it, when I'm putting together a, a plan, things like that, it's like, you know, I look for commonalities, I look for patterns, and I look for, and I'm asking, you know, what I journal to relentlessly. So there's always this reflection and things like that. So there's a lot of like, but but we're different. Pers- but that's not the core of being a questioner, though, okay. to be clear, um, because that's more about being analytical, which is not this because um, and maybe I should back up and explain what the tendencies, the four tendencies sure. are. Yeah, it only describes how you respond to expectation. Mm-hmm. So. What makes a questioner is if I say, hey, Mike, would you do this for me? Your answer is, why should I? Right. Why should, does that make sense? Is that a good use of my time and energy? Not in a mean way, but just like, why should I? Mm -hmm. You should drive 65 miles an hour. Why should I? That's their thing. That's what makes a questioner. Now, you can be deeply analytical, extremely curious, love to question, love to reflect, and be an obliger or a rebel or an upholder because that's separate. This is only how do you respond to expectations. So, they, you can look very different, but like with a rebel, you could ha- you could have a rebel who's very idealistic, very considerate of other people's feelings, really wants to be successful. You could get another rebel who is a slacker, doesn't care about other people's feelings, doesn't care much about getting ahead in the world, and they look completely different. But if you said, hey, Mike, would you unload the dishwasher for me? They'd be like, yeah, you know what? You're not the boss of me. <laughs> So my, that's what, so it, that's my what it is to be a rub, you know? <laughs> and so, um, so anyway, but so maybe I should explain the four tendencies, then we can get into the nuance. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, Cause I think, yeah, I think, like, you know, when you, yeah. when you look at it from that vantage point, uh, and again, yeah. I'm looking at it again, um, because you're right, there's some analytical components to what I do, but I'm looking at it and I'm, I'm probably, it's hard for me. I mean, I've done so many, that's the, the core of my initial question was where, where would this fit in or does this fit in into so many of these other, t- you know, mm. Um, spectrum kind of analysis things that we see out there with again Myers Briggs and, and personality tests. Where where does this fit into the equation? And then yes, explain that probably will lead us to explain what each of the four tendencies are. Well, you know, I'm a, I love personality frameworks, and I'm a big believer in that vo- different vocabulary and kind of focusing on different things can really uh, shine a spotlight on hidden patterns in our nature. So I love that kind of thing. 
I don't think that there's very much value in trying to get them to all to map onto each other mm-hmm. because each each one has its own nuance and its own power. And when you try to say like, well, this equals that, a lot of times you lose a lot of that. Now, I will say in like one of the things I like about the four tendencies framework as opposed to some other frameworks is a lot of times frameworks are trying to explain a lot of things about you all at once. They're trying to paint a whole picture of you. And as I was just saying to you, with the four tendencies, I'm not painting any picture of you other than how you respond to expectations. This is a very significant aspect of your personality, but I don't know anything about you other than that. And it's funny because some people will be like, oh, oh, the four tendencies um, map onto the houses of Hogwarts. And I'm like, no, they don't. And I'll tell you three three names. Hermione, Fred, George. How is it that they are in the same house? Because they are clearly not in the same tendency. So it's like, but I'm not saying they couldn't both be Gryffindor. They both can be Gryffindor, but they're not in the same tendency because these things don't map on. And same thing with the, I have a friend who knows a lot about the Enneagram and also Myers-Briggs and was trying to explain to me the correspondences. And I'm like, you know what? Let everybody just do their thing and everybody. And I think a lot of times different models resonate with different people. Like you just, it just clicks with you or, you know, and so, um, so I don't worry about that so much, but all this to say, here's the four tendencies in a nutshell. And there's a quiz on my site, GretchenRubin.com. More than a million people have taken the quiz. It sounds like your wife took the quiz. Um, but the fact is most people don't even need to take the quiz when they hear this brief explanation. Most people can tell what they are. So, it has to do with how a person responds to outer expectations and inner expectations, which we all face. We all face outer expectations like a work deadline, a request from a friend. We all face inner expectations. My desire to keep a New Year's resolution. My desire to get back into playing guitar. So there are upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels. Upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. They meet the work deadline. They keep the New Year's resolution without much fuss. They want to know what other people expect from them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. Then there are questioners. This is what we were just talking about. Is your wife a questioner? Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they're convinced it makes sense. So they make everything an inner expectation. If it meets their inner standard, fine. They will do it, no problem. If it fails their inner standard, they will resist. And they typically rail against anything arbitrary, inefficient, unjustified. They love to customize. Uh, They love efficiency. Then there are obligers. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. And I got my first insight into this tendency when a friend said to me, um, the weird thing about me is I know I would be happier if I exercised. And when I was in high school, I was on the track team and I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? And this was a super important question for me because I was like, well, it is the same person. It is the same behavior. Why at one time was it effortless and now she can't do it. Well, she's an obliger. When she had a team and a coach waiting for her, no problem. When she's trying to go on her own, it's a struggle. And then the final tendency is the rebel tendency. And rebels resist all expectations outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. If you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. Um, And, uh, you know, um, they just want to do things their own way. They they put a high value on freedom and choice and being authentic to themselves. Um, they can do anything they choose to do, anything they want to do. But if you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to push back. So those are the four. So do you still think you're a questioner too? No. You think you're, oh, what do you think you are? What do you think you are? I think, you know what? It's interesting because I, I think I'm probably more of a, a rebel now. Mm. Then I was, I probably, I would have been an obliger before. 
Mm, I think you're probably still in a blade. Think so? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think people change over time. No? Why is that? Why no, is that? But, but what happens to obligers is obligers sometimes get to the point of obliger rebellion, which is when they meet, meet, meet expectations, and then suddenly they snap, and they're like, well, this I won't do. Ah, then that makes yeah. sense. That makes sense. Because, yeah. because so for me, Gretchen, what I've done is I've built, I've created a lot of boundaries, right? And they're... Okay, so already you're sounding like an obliger yeah. because obligers are people who talk about boundaries. Yeah. Other, other tendencies don't, they don't talk about self-care and they don't talk about okay, boundaries. Okay, so then, yeah, because what I've, what, I've, what I've had to do, like, so for example, when I work with a client, like I do coaching, right, with clients and, yeah. and I use, I used to just be, I just just say, yeah, when do you want to meet with me? When do you want to meet with me? Then what I, I realized that there was burnout that was happening, clearly burnout. Yeah. And so what I did was I obviously, rather than me being the person that said, no, I, cr- I have a scheduling link. And it makes it creates the appearance of, wow, look at all the options that I have when someone books an appointment. But what they don't see is what I've blocked out for myself. Right. So it's very it's it's a boundary that still allows me to feel like I'm. Yeah, I guess like I'm obliging, but I'm obliging within my own within, within my own terms. Does that make sense? Right. So what obligers? Absolutely. And I think that's a brilliant solution. That's a great I look, I'm always looking for how obligers um, deal with that tendency. And that is a fint. I'm going to add that to my arsenal to suggest to people, because what you see with obligers is when they have an inner expectation that they want to meet um, or when they find it hard to say no to outer expectations, what works for them always. And this is like the solution that it's like the one and only solution is outer accountability. Mm-hmm. They need outer accountability even to meet inner expectations. So what you've done is you, you were finding it hard to say no or to do it at somebody at your own convenience. So you set up something else to be a structure that would do that for you. Right. Um, that would create the, uh, that would kind of take over, that would be sort of your virtual assistant who would handle that so that you didn't have to. Yeah. I trust the structure um, more than myself. Right. Well, and it's interesting because like, you know, and so for obligers, it's like, okay, if you want to read more, join a book group. If you want to exercise more, take a class, work out with a trainer, take your dog for a run every day. And he's going to be so disappointed if he doesn't get for a run. Then sometimes you could do things like think of your future self. Mike right now doesn't feel like exercising, but future Mike is going to be so disappointed. Mm-hmm. You've been so good about going for those runs. Oh God, future Mike is going to be really, really annoyed if Mike right now doesn't go for that run. Um, so there's a lot, or I need to be a good role model for somebody else. So I'm going to do this because I want to model the kind of behavior that I want others to see and learn from. So there's a million ways to create outer accountability. And I like yours of getting a tool. Um, I heard a funny one where somebody who wanted – she lived alone and she wanted to get up earlier. She didn't have a dog and she was totally immune to snooze alarms. And what she did is she used Hootsuite, the yep. social media management platform tool, to create a very embarrassing Facebook post that posted every day at 7.30 a.m. or whatever – Unless she got up to turn it off. So she had to get up to stop Hootsuite from posting this embarrassing Facebook post. So again, it's like, instead of trying to be like, I should have more willpower, I should have more self-control, I need to do it, or like you, I should stand up for myself, I should create, you know, it's like, no, I'm going to use technology to create a structure so that it happens without me having to use that kind of mental willpower, which is very draining and often doesn't work. You know, it lets us down a lot, that mental energy. So good to find a, a, um, a, a prop for it. You know, we talked about how people love to, when, when they're de- doing these kind of personality tests and when they're trying to, um, you know, when they, when they associate this with this kind of thing, they want to tether it to something to almost, I would say, 
I wouldn't say make it matter more, but strengthen it. Do you know what I mean? Like, so they can get access to it. Do you find that when when people are reading the book or going through the four tendencies, that they, even though they probably know what they are, that they fight, they they try to rail against it. Like they try to say, okay, well, I I'm I'm this way. I tend to, you know, this is my tendency, but I don't want to be that way. And and obviously in the book, you kind of. Gear, help people say, look, this is, this is your tendency. Here's how you can navigate it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I hear from people a lot who don't like their tendency or people who say, I want to change tendencies. Can you tell me how to change tendency? And, you know, to me, I'm like, look, is it possible to change your inborn nature? Um, I don't know. I mean, if it is, it's extremely difficult and it may be impossible, but it's super easy to just set up circumstances and situations uh, to take your tendency into account and to deal with whatever kind of limitation or weakness you're experiencing so you get where you want to go. The same as if you were a different tendency. So my, my, my response is there's nothing wrong with you. Whatever tendency you are, there are many people, many, many successful people, many, many losers in your tendency with you. They all face many of the similar challenges and frustrations that you faced. There's tons of tools and strategies that people have developed over time cleverly to deal with this. So rather than bemoaning what you are, just, you know, you get what you get, you don't get upset, and you just work with it to get where you want. So if you're an obliger who want, wishes that you were an upholder, I'm like, well, create outer accountability and you will be indistinguishable from an upholder. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you're a questioner and you're annoyed with yourself because you're experiencing analysis paralysis, this is something that some questioners experience where their desire for perfect information means that it's hard, it makes it hard for them to make a decision or move forward because they just want more and more and more information. And it's like, this is a thing that happens sometimes to questioners. That's, that's not surprising. You can set deadlines. You can set limits. You can use trusted advisors. There's all kinds of ways that questioners have come up with to deal with this. You don't have to change tendency. You just have to deal with this very specific problem, and that's not that hard. Once you understand what the true issue is, I think sometimes with the tendencies, people have kind of misdiagnosed what the problem is, or they blame themselves. Like They're like, you know, everybody tells me to make a to-do list and that I should start every day with a list of my priorities, but the minute I make a to-do list, I refuse to do anything on it. Like, what do I do about that? Something's wrong with me. And I'm like, no, you're a rebel. This is very common among rebels to have this feeling about to-do lists. And here's all these clever solutions that rebels have come up with to handle the fact that they don't use to-do lists in the way that the other tendencies do. But sometimes the sort of experts will say like, well, this is like the, the, this is like the magic tool that everybody should use. And so then people blame themselves right. when it doesn't work for them. Yeah. And it's like, no. Uh, many rebels have told me how they don't use to-do lists, some with pride, some feeling guilty or kind of embarrassed about it. I'm like, this is a thing. Lots of rebels talk about this. There's lots of solutions. So don't beat yourself up. There's other ways to skin a cat. There's other ways to get stuff done. Just if this doesn't work for you, let's move on to plan B or in plan C, plan D, plan E. There's a lot of ways to achieve our aims once we realize what our options are. Yeah, it's funny. A lot of people, and this is one of the things I've been railing against, is the idea that the tool is what is what will help you, you know, in productivity. That, yeah. You know, it's like if you get the yeah. best to-do list, I mean, no, you have to have the framework to back it up. Like you have to have something that if that tool goes away, you're not you're not scrambling saying, oh, how am I going to do this or this way of doing it? Like it's very personal. And, and that's one it's of the things that personal. I like about the four tendencies. And, and what, I, 
what, what I want to get into here is, is uh, and this kind of rails to the idea of, I've watched the Jerry Seinfeld documentary Comedian. Have you ever watched that? I mean, as a guy who Oh, didn't, no, I didn't even know about it. It's that on, sounds it's, great. It's on Netflix. It's old. It's like, it's been around for, I, I would say, almost, I think it was made in 2002. It's, it's older. Um, and it shows how he approaches comedy versus how another comedian approaches it. And he, this other comedian is using uh, Excel spreadsheets and he's designed this, like it, it's almost down to a science more than an art. Whereas Seinfeld's, you know, pulling over at the side of the road and filling out jokes as they come to mind in an index card. But one of the things that that he mentions is that when you're a comedian, you see the world through the lens of a comedian, even when you're not on stage, right? Like it's just, it's part of who you are. And since I've noticed, I mean, I'm going to link to your post about NaNoWriMo, for example, you know, which, oh, you right. know, the idea. And I'm wondering, because this has happened to me with with my work, and I think it it, it tends to happen with, with writers and with, I mean, because you had the Happiness Project. And do you find that the four tendencies is bec- you're looking for? Like, do you find that you look at things through that lens now more than than ever before and almost almost serendipitously and maybe even sometimes to the point of annoyance, maybe? No, absolutely. I see it. And it's funny that you mentioned the Happiness Project, because now looking back on it, my upholder, I'm an upholder, Mm -hmm. um, is my tendency. And my upholderness is written all over that book. But I had no self-awareness of that at all. Mm. Like, I had no idea that I was different from other people or how I was alike some people. But and my tendency is a small tendency. Not that many people are upholders. And um, and in fact, that's one of the the reasons that I understood the tendencies, because after the Happiness Project came out, you know, it's all about this experiment. I did where I test drove all these ideas about how to be happier. And people would say to me, for years, people have been saying to me, but how did you get yourself to do all those things? And I said, well, I thought they would make me happier. So, you know, I decided to do them. And they said, but how did you get yourself to do them? And I'm like, don't really understand your question. But it was so persistent that I'm like, finally, I caught a clue and was like, I'm different from a lot of people. My experience is not the same as what a lot of people are experiencing, because why are they asking a question? That led me to better than before. That led me to um, the four tendencies. But you're right. Like, I'm watching TV and I'm try- I'm watching Game of Thrones and I'm like, Stannis Baratheon, he's an upholder. <laughs> You know, um, or, you know, I'm reading Andre Agassi's memoir, Open, Mm -hmm. brilliant memoir. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, he's textbook obliger. Yep. You know, Um, or it's a wonderful life. George Bailey. Yeah. Total obliger who falls into deep obliger rebellion. It's like classic obliger rebellion. That's when he's almost throwing himself off the bridge. So, yes, I do. And I will be talking to people. And there's certain things that people say where I'm like, okay, I think I'm getting a picture of what you are. Um, yeah. You're going to go to the new Star Wars film and go, okay, what? Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the things that's been very helpful is in my work, because I don't have a boss or employees. Like, I'm, I'm kind of a, a solo person, but I collaborate with a lot of people. So I work with teams of people doing my podcast or my newsletter or whatever. So I engage with people in a work setting, but usually by email because you know, I'm in my home office mm-hmm. all the time. But knowing their tendency definitely affects the way that I communicate with them. Absolutely, I will craft an email ever so slightly differently with the person's tendency in mind because I know how to push somebody's buttons for the better or for the worse, because there's just little things that you can do. Um, and I look, see this in signage. Like one of my favorite things always when I go to a workplace is to look at the signs in the kitchen. I just get the biggest kick out of it. And you, I can see signage 
I have this app, the Better app, mm-hmm. um, where people go to talk about the four tendencies and, you know, they form accountability groups and do all this stuff there. And a big thing that I often post about is science because I just love kind of ca- science. Yeah. You know, people, science are tr- people trying to get you to do something. And so often they're so bad, but then sometimes they're great. Um, and people seem to get a big kick out of that because it's like you can communicate, the way you communicate has a big effect yep. on how effective that communication is going to be. You know, um, thank you for not smoking will make some people enraged. Yep. You know, thank you for not speeding through our town. It's like, I am going to speed up because you can't tell me what to do. Don't go ahead and thank me. Don't think that I'm going to do what you tell me to because I'm not. Yeah. Th- putting thanks in advance in an email is, is it can be, oh. it can be a death. Oh, it's so, I'm in a polder <laughs> and I find that annoying. <laughs> Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, subtext is a big thing too, right? Like, I mean, that's what a lot of, uh, a lot of people don't recognize. It's like, I mean, for example, and I talk about this with, with clients is like, they struggle with email, for example. Um, so they're not, they're, they're more concerned about the, the content than the con, you know, than, than the context and even the subtext. They'll send an email at three in the morning and then they'll wonder why they get emails at three in the morning. I'm like, but because it's not so much that you, you're saying you're available at three in the morning when you send, there's all these hidden messages that you send. And it's it's interesting because you talked about the fact that as an obliger, which, you know, and, and the more I'm thinking about this and the more I'm looking at some of the, the links we're going to share, I'm like, yep, you're right. But I, you, you mentioned that an obliger can present themselves like an upholder. And, and I find that by putting, we talked about these boundaries and these frameworks in place that it does tend to do that. And, and what are some of the other things that, that like, so when, when, if a rebel, they can, like, I think there, like you said, there's things that you can do that can allow you to present yourself as another tendency. Can you give some examples of that, that you may have? But I think it's not presenting. The idea is not that you're going to disguise yourself or fake it. No. It's like, the point is, how do you get where you want to go? Right. Yeah. That- you're a rebel and you want to exercise or you're an obliger. You want to like, whatever it is, like, how do you get there? Right. Give it. Yeah. So it's not like you have to like squeeze yourself into being somebody other than you are. It's just, how do you get to the same place? Right. How does everybody get where they want to go? Yeah. Right. But sorry, I interrupted. No, 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 you. no, yeah. no. But that's, that's a good point because I don't like, I, it's not about the whole faking, like here, like yeah. it's not about putting a mask on. It's about, okay, no. how do I like, so for example, if you're, if, if I'm someone offering productivity uh, advice and time management advice, and they go, well, you're an obliger. So, I mean, you can help. I mean, you're great at what other people ask of you to do. But when it comes to your own stuff, and meanwhile, I'm all about like qualitative, do the things that matter most. And you're like, but Mike, you don't tend to, well, no, I, I, that, that's something I struggle with. But here's the things I've put in place to help me yep. with that. Right. right. And I think yep. that, so what are like, can you give some examples of, of, for example, let's say a, a rebel obviously resists like th- they're, how do they put things in place so that they can survive in a world where you are sometimes you are expected to conform on more occasions than probably not? Like there'd be a, a good thing to look at. Well, like give me a specific scenario and then that okay. makes it easier. All right. So let's say uh, you're a um, you're a rebel and you mm-hmm. work for uh, well, I live in a government town and you work for a government mm-hmm. agency. There's nothing more. Mm-hmm not rebellious than working mm-hmm. for government. How do mm-hmm. they, how do they thrive? Like, how do they, mm. how do they thrive in that mm-hmm. environment? Mm-hmm. 
Mm. Well, it's very interesting that you say that because one of the kind of paradoxical things about rebels is that many rebels are attracted to environments where they're the boss or every day is different, where they can like kind of set their own schedule, don't aren't don't have anybody looking over their shoulder and are kind of, you know, like maybe they're they're like a restaurant manager who goes to a different restaurant every day and nobody's like, you know, keeping tabs on them like that. But many rebels, to my surprise, I found, are attracted to areas of high regulation, like the military, the police, the clergy, the government, and large corporations with lots of rules. And I was really puzzled by this when I started noticing it, and I would talk to rebels about it. And what I found is that for some rebels, they feel like if there's no structure around them, they almost stall out. Some rebels, it's like they thrive in that, and they'll like do their own thing, and they'll blow everybody away because like they're the best top salesman ever because no, they can just do what they want when they want. But some people need something to push against. It's almost like they need the side of the swimming pool to push against to give them their energy. And so they like to be in an environment where they can kind of like push against the rules. So if you look at what they're actually doing there, they're probably pushing the envelope quite a bit. And a lot of these institutions actually kind of have give for that, that there is a little bit more give in the system than you would imagine. But Sometimes there's not, or sometimes in some situations you really have to toe the line. So how do rebels do that? So I spoke to a rebel who worked for like a very large tech company, very, very famous. You can guess which one, it, like one of the few that it would be. But anyway, I was like, how do you work at this place? Because man, this thing is on lockdown. I mean, they're, you're signing in, you're signing out, they're tracking you around the building. Like they are watching, like, you know, and um, he said, well, you know what? They're teaching me the skills that I want. I'm going to go off and start my own company. But mm. here, they're, I'm learning everything I need to know. And so he was like in his mind, and this is what works for a lot of rebels, they're working for me. Right. They're doing what I want them to do. I'm getting what I want out of it because this is the thing. Rebels can do anything they want to do. They can do anything they choose to do. And as, and one of the ways a rebel can do that is to remind themselves, this is what I want. This is what I choose. This works for me. And then they can get themselves to do things. So it's not that I told you to. It's not doctor's orders. It's not because you promised me you would. It's not because it's the rule. It's because, hey, man, this was, this is what works for you. Like, this is what you want. Like, you're, you're into this. Um, and, and then they can do it. So they have to stay, they have to, um, they have to stay connected to that sense of what, what it is that they authentically want. Um, and then if it doesn't work for them, then that's when they, that's when they can, they can, uh, have problems because they just, they sometimes just don't do things. And that's the thing that I think we can all learn from rebels. We're all a lot more free than we think. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of things in this world that if you were just like, well, yeah, I'm not going to do that. You can get away with it. I'm amazed. There's a lot of th if you're like, you know what, I'm just not going to go to the 10 a.m. staff meeting anymore. It's a huge waste of time. I'm not going to go. It's like, OK, if they'll just be like, oh, yeah, yeah, John never comes to this meeting. It's like maybe nothing happens if you don't go to the meeting. You know, as an upholder, it would never even occur to me. I'd be like, it's a natural law that you have to go to the weekly meeting, but never occurred to me to blow it off. Turns out there's no consequences if you don't go to that meeting. I mean, somebody was just telling me she works with a rebel. And it's interesting when there is a rebel who's teamed up, either in romance or at work, uh, like a founding team, it's almost always with obliger. That is overwhelming the pattern. If you have a rebel, there's almost always an obliger by their side. So it's talking an obliger and a rebel to work together. And so they were saying how the obliger would like schedule out all these things that they had to do far in advance and would send all these calendar requests and the rebel would just ignore them. Mm. It's just like, and I'm like, can you do that? Can you just <laughs> ignore it? Like, 
I thought they like blew up in your face if you didn't answer it within a certain amount of time. Like, can you just ignore a calendar request? It's like, turns out you can. Turns out you can. You know, as we get close to wrapping up here, that that brings brings up a good point because when I when I talk to people about you know claiming their time and 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 theming it and and they're saying you know they. A lot of people say, well, I don't have control over my day from nine to five. I'm like, well, that's not entirely true because you're hired to do a job. And within the confines of that job, you do have elements of freedom that otherwise you would not, you know, especially knowledge work. Otherwise, you would not be able to do the job. It would be very, very difficult. Um, And and so you're right. I think people don't think they have as much freedom or free will to do certain things on the job that they so they just tend to kind of toe the line. But the problem is, if you do that too often then you end up over the long haul, not just hurting yourself, but hurting, hurting, hurting the company in in a lot of ways. And it was, it's just interesting to see how people, like you said, like their tendencies, where they tend to go. I mean, you're right. There's a lot of people that would never, when, when I've told people, well, do you need to be at that meeting? Well, absolutely. Cause it's a meeting. I'm like, but do you need to be at that meeting? Is that something that you, and they're like, well, I'm like, do they take minutes? Could you not read the minutes? I mean, is there not someone, well, yeah, I guess I could do that, but if I'm not physically there, well, but then you, they, no one's, there's a lot of. Yes. More wiggle room. Yeah. Yeah. There's, and there's a lot of people who assume that if they're not visible or they're not there, then they're not doing, you know, it's, it's all, it's almost like the, you have to be seen in order to, to, for people to know that you're doing something, which is often some of the best work you do is in, is in solitude or, or when you're not being, you know, when you're not necessarily being watched or you're off the clock or whatever. So, but I want to dive into some stuff in the bonus episode, which I'll get to members, but Gretchen, um, thanks so much for taking the time today. I mean, we could talk about this for for a long time. Thanks. And because you're an upholder, we actually have more time because I know you're going to stick around. So excellent! <laughs> yes, it's so fun to talk to you. I always, I, lo- I love. Uh, we're interested in so many of the same things. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks, thanks again for joining me, Gretchen. I told you it was a great conversation and there's so much more that members get. If you go to productivityist.com slash membership, there is going to be a bonus episode. There always is uh, with Gretchen. We talk about a few more things. Normally it's three more things. This time we talked about a few more things. We went on a little bit longer than usual. And if you want to learn more about what else you get with a membership, head over to productivityist.com slash membership now. And uh, big thanks to Gretchen for joining me. Big thanks to you for listening. Grab all the links in the show notes. There's several there for you to look at. Uh, And big thanks to John Polster for producing the show as well. Uh, That's it for this week. I will see you next week once again for another episode of the Productivityist podcast. Until then, I'm Mike Vardy, founder of Productivityist, reminding you to stop guessing and start going. (laughs) 